Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Players are working out uh, down down here in uh, Phoenix right now at the spring training complexes. And so all that needs to be worked out now is the, the financial thing. And they'll get, they'll get that done. Nope. What's the reaction been within the sport? Uh, it has been uniformly terrible among the players, Scott. And listen, this is not just the highest paid players who under MLB's proposal that was given to the Players Association on Tuesday would see the largest pay cuts. This filters all the way down to the lowest levels to the guys making $563,500 the minimum salary this year. (laughs) Screwed. It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel. Good morning to you, baseball people. Nothing like a throat clear right off the top to start the show. Um, I don't have a cough button here at the home-based Hyundai Studios. I appreciate their sponsorship. I love being able to broadcast with you, to you, in these uh, trying times, but I do need a cough button. Sean Anderson is at the station in the middle of downtown Chicago. I hope you are safe, Sean. I hope you are safe, all of you out there. I am in my home in the South Loop of Chicago, and it was a really sad and scary day and night. We've got a lot of baseball to talk about. We will definitely talk about baseball. It's hard to care about baseball right now, but we will we will get there. That's for sure. Lots of guests on the show today. Lots of conversation. Some very interesting people I'm looking forward to talking to. Bronson Arroyo, one of my favorite guys to talk to about pitching. Also a musician, um, really thoughtful guy. Looking forward to talking to him at 10 o'clock. The former Cub, former Royal, and others. Jason Hamill is going to be on the show at 11 o'clock. He's been working over at Marquee and uh, should be, I am looking forward to talking to Jason. Got a got a unique moment uh, of shared history with him that I don't even know if he'll remember. I bet he will, but we'll see. Um, and we'll talk about that with him at 11 o'clock. Chris Kampka will tie the room together as he so often does at 1140. Between now and then, you'll hear from Carlton Fisk. Very rare to have Carlton Fisk on our air. And I missed it myself when he was on with his good friend Ron Coomer and Zach Zaidman earlier this week. Um, Sean Anderson has done a job going through and finding the best stuff, and we'll play that for you later on this hour 
And we'll also play for you a debut of something that Jason Benetti, the White Sox broadcaster, and I have started together that is really fun and is light and enjoyable and baseball-y. And we'll do that for you at 1040. It's called Good Comp, Bad Comp. In the meantime, your phone calls and your texts are not just welcome. They're elemental to the very completion of the broadcast at 312-644-6767. That is both the number to call and to text right now. We no longer do the other short code text thing. So just put that number in your phone and talk to us that way. Um, but I, I have to talk about our city and the country for a moment. It's heartbreaking. It's hard to care about baseball right now. We will. I love this show. I know that this show and the score are a distraction for you. I know that. And we will be that for the bulk of this morning. But it's heartbreaking what's going on in our city. The looting and the window smashing is terrible. The opportunistic violence takes focus away from what the peaceful protesters are doing. And it takes focus away from what they're trying to get you to hear and to feel. I, I just, I just want to say that we, we can't let the damage be the story. The damage sucks. It's wrong. And the smart protesters, the smart, peaceful protesters out there know that it is wrong. The story is the rage. The smart, peaceful protesters are yelling at the opportunistic looters. And that is some of the best stuff that's getting shared right now on social media. Understand, I just retweeted something that had a 16-year-old, a 31-year-old, and a 45-year-old, all black men, talking about what they can do, how they have to find a new way, how the anger is justified, but the looting doesn't work. The story is the rage. And our job is to try and hear, see, and understand the rage. Because most of us, including me, do not know what it feels like, what it truly feels like to be a black man or black woman in America. I, I know that it, that it hurts my soul to, to watch that killing of George Floyd, and probably yours too. And then see the inaction of the city and the state in Minnesota, see the third degree charge, third degree, and the lack of arrest for the other three officers. It is the rage for George Floyd just being yet another name added to a massive, horrific list. Freddie Gray, Philando Castile, Eric Garner. And it's 200 years of systemic approved racism, racism that gets swept under the rug a bit, but is still there and comes back. Read Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the LA Times today. Killer Mike is a rapper that I, I only knew tangentially. He spoke in Atlanta yesterday and taught me things. The cornerstone speech. I didn't know what the cornerstone speech was. Alexander Stevens giving voice to what the thought was in the Confederacy that science had proven that Africans were less than, that all men are created equal was not true. That's before the Civil War. After the Civil War, that guy was in the House of Representatives. That guy was elected governor of Georgia. There's a statue of him in the Georgia State Capitol. That stuff, when it's followed up by 200 years of continued devaluing of life, it leads to an existence that I can't imagine, where righteous, worthy rage is in your heart every day. And a society does not do enough to change things. 
I, I feel like our job, if you are perhaps like me, white, privileged by birthright, and unable to truly feel it, our job is to try and understand and empathize. And, and we can't let the terrible, damaging stupidity of opportunistic looters distract us from the moment. We can't. That will only deepen the divide and make this cycle rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Looting is not the way to make things better. I hate that it's happening. I'm scared. I'm scared. My wife is going to go take a walk in the city this morning. I'm scared for her. I have children in this city. I'm scared for them. I have, I, I have ch- friends and people of every race in my family. And I'm scared for them. And maybe you're angry, maybe you're scared, but try to understand where the rage is coming from. That, that is our job at the moment. The rage, the righteous anger, generation after generation not being safe in their own country. That's the story, okay? Don't let the damage be the story. Hear each other if you can and try and listen. And in the meantime, I'll do uh, what I like to try and do, which is to speak to you about sports, about life, and to spread love. What the world needs now Seventy, the score. Thank you, Sean. That's take six. That's like some of the greatest vocals ever recorded from 1988, the Take Six debut album. Sean, I know your music tastes are all over the place. You ever heard those guys? No, I have not. I, it's six men who met at a Seventh Day Adventist college in the South and formed an acapella group, and it is the greatest acapella. Singing, recording, performance that I've ever heard. And I love that stuff as a singer, as the son of a voice teacher. I've always been a sucker for acapella groups. Yes, I had an acapella group in college. And no, that audio is not available for you, Sean, to make fun of me. It is not available. Um, and I know that, uh, that some people hate that style. I don't care. Those guys are brilliant. Take six. Spread love. It is a hit and run on 670, the score. Baseball sure feels petty, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel crazy, petty, and ridiculous to think about all these people arguing 
about money and is, should we come and play? I hope that they notice not just the pandemic, but the deep-seated anger and racial strife, the heartbreaking realities for so many people in this country, the protests all over the nation. And I hope that leads the players to <clears throat> offer something in tomorrow that leaves a little room to negotiate and then leads the owners to make a gigantic concession and make even more room to negotiate. And I hope we have a fruitful next 24 to 48 hours and an agreement by, let's say, Wednesday, the 3rd of June. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> clap if you're with me. Sean, clap if you're with me. Let's go. Come on now. You're clapping. That's the sound of one man clapping in the downtown studios of 670 to score. It's time. There's a soft deadline tomorrow, the 1st of June, where they're supposed to have things, you know, uh, where the proposal is supposed to come back. Um, and, and, but that's, it's not going to get done tomorrow. It's not like the players are going to propose something. The owners are going to be like, you know what? All right. Okay. I like it. That's not going to happen. But maybe there's room in it to start and go places and we can get the conversation rolling in the right direction. That would be lovely. It is possible. There is still the thought around baseball. Most people think it's going to happen that this, that, that there will be an agreement and there will be baseball. Our own Bruce Levine wrote a story, much of which we discussed yesterday, but then the story wasn't up on the website. It is up now at 670thescore.com. Spring training 2.0 is expected to be conducted many teams' home cities. Bruce had some other details in there. Imagine, if you will, <clears throat> the White Sox and Cubs. Here, Sean, put me down for a second so I can cough. Really? For real. All right, I'm back. Is there anything I can do on this end for when I cough? I guess I could lower my microphone. Um, right? I th just, we'll just keep doing that. We'll just, <clears throat> that's going to be great. Yeah, we'll just keep. But see, I didn't tell you. Up. I didn't tell you, and then I did it again. My friend Flem has come to pay a visit this morning. He's hanging around. I don't like him, but we'll I don't fix get to you decide when he's here. What's that? We'll fix you during the break. <laughs> How are you, you going to fix me? You going to send me hot tea with lemon? Yeah, it sounds nice. That'd be fine. Yeah, right? All right, so spring training 2.0, expected to be at Guaranteed Rate Field, at Wrigley Field, and also, say, Curtis Granderson Stadium over at UIC, say, North Park College, or perhaps Northwestern with baseball facilities. So a taxi squad could be there. See, when you've got these kind of preparations and details going on and the massive amount of man hours being allotted by both baseball operations and business operations for both organizations in town, then all of a sudden you know and you realize they think it's going to happen. Most people think it's going to happen. I don't know that we'll get July 4th baseball. That would have been fun. But if we have a deal, say, by next weekend or even next Monday, what's tomorrow? The 1st. If we have a deal by the 8th of June, even if it's June 10th, and that's going to be 10 more days of ugliness, potentially, you could still get people together by the weekend of, say, June 12 to 14 and have three weeks, three and a half weeks of spring training 2.0 start the season on the 3rd of July. But there's no rule that it has to start on the 3rd of July. You remember what I talked about way back when was like a 50-60 game season that gets rolling on August 1st? Fine. Maybe that's where we end up. 
So even with this, with these negotiations, if it stays ugly and it keeps getting pushed, we still might be okay in terms of getting some baseball. I, I, I think, I think we're going to get it at some point. And man, it is going to be welcome as long as it is safe. Guafi, given uncertainty about future infections. Of course. But we have, we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of things going on that really give you the indication that the preparation is underway. Wayne Randazzo, the New York Mets broadcaster and a colleague, former colleague of ours here at The Score, referred to this yesterday. And I can tell you now, after talking to a source in the game who does a lot of business on the broadcast side, okay? And this source told me that he has, knows of three different teams, three different teams, that have told their broadcasters to prepare to not travel. You will not travel. So I assume that means that radio and television broadcasters will be doing road games from the studio or perhaps from their own booth at their own home ballpark, even with the game not being there, depending on comfort level and and what is best. And I I can report to you that that is definitely the case, that multiple teams, National League teams, and also we've heard Sunday Night Baseball talk about it. Matt Vaskersian talked about it. He doesn't expect to be traveling. So entities are preparing. Teams are preparing. Orgs are preparing. Broadcasters are preparing. And those of us even remotely connected to the game are preparing. I want to I want to drive somewhere and take a vacation. Thinking about August, right? August, you know, the country should be a little bit more settled in terms of this pandemic. Um, most states open or as open as they can be. Hell, maybe we could even fly in August. I don't know. But if August is the beginning of a 50-60 game baseball season, does Matt Spiegel want to not be in Chicago during August? It's tough, right? Pity me is what I'm saying, because these are the biggest problems in the world. A lot of tongue-in-cheek people to try and get through the day and our lives these days. But here's the thing. I do believe we're going to get a deal done, and I do believe it is going to take place towards the end of this week. And take a while. It's going to be ugly, but I do believe that it will get done. It is 670 the score. You're listening to Hit and Run, the score's baseball show. Carlton Fisk was on the station this week. I didn't hear it. I can't wait to hear it. That's coming up at 940. At 10 o'clock, Bronson Arroyo will join us. Talk pitching, talk union, talk money, talk baseball with us at the top of the hour and then 11 o'clock jason hamill at 10 40 you'll hear good comp bad comp at 11 40 you'll hear chris kampka and after us at noon it is mark grody on 670 the score he'll have jj stankovic steve conroy on the show we are broadcasting live from the hyundai studios brought to you by your local hyundai dealers right now the phone lines are open at 312-644-6767 312-644-6767 do you think we're going to get a deal i think we are 
and your expectations for what the players should do, what the owners should do, what the week is going to bring, and anything else you want to talk about. I'll give you some more details from our own Bruce Levine on, um, on, on what spring training 2.0 is going to look like. I'll also tell you why I've given up calling it what I was calling it. Damn extremists ruin everything. But they can't ruin this show. It's hit and run. Dial it up, get involved, and let's baseball together the rest of the morning on 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back into Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. So when spring training 2.0 gets rolling... And I don't think I can call it Spring Training 2 Electric Boogaloo anymore. I didn't realize that extremists had co-opted the term boogaloo as, uh, as, as, as like the pending race war and violence that they are in part trying to create. I didn't realize they did that. So when I, when I call it Spring Training 2 Electric Boogaloo, I'm just trying to like do a, a little lighthearted, enjoyable nod to uh, break in two. Of course, and then I've branched out to Spring Training Strikes Back, Spring Training in the Temple of Doom, Spring Training 2, this time it's personal, that kind of stuff. Um, Spring Training World Tour, like Trolls World Tour, as Mike Farron suggested last week. But I don't know, man. Do I, do I have to acquiesce to the co-opting of the language that some jamokes have, have done? That's maybe just so it doesn't distract me from my own self. So, yeah. I'll go spring training 2.0. You got it. You got it. Just so I don't get distracted. Here's some of the details as mapped out by our man Bruce Levine on 670thescore.com. Between 40 and 50 players working out every day, getting ready for a regular season that could be anywhere from 60 to 100 games, depending on how the labor negotiations are resolved. So... 40 to 50 players working out every day for those three weeks of spring in both a major league ballpark and another local, probably collegiate ballpark, something with good facilities, something that they can control in terms of health and safety protocols. Think about how much there is to do here. There's an incredible amount to do. And incredible amount to like be paying attention to and, and care for. But with the cancellation of the minor league season, now it's just a formality. Players who aren't on a team's active roster on game day still need to get work in. 
and they need to be available. And that could be done at the extra field. So you'll have most of the major leaguers at guaranteed rate or at Wrigley. And then you'll have uh, some of the others. Boy, that's going to be an ugly divide unless they just kind of like rotate it. But still, there's going to be a point where you're like, oh, man, I'm going with the B team. And I'm picturing uh, I'm picturing guys like uh, like 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 Jason Kipnis, right, going with the B team. I'm picturing if he's in camp, Carson Fulmer going with the B team. I mean, you could go down the rosters and and map them out. Who's the uh, who's the who's the, the the utility guy, the White Sox utility guy that I started to fall for? Is it Danny Mendez? Danny Mendick? Danny Mendick, yeah. Dan, Danny Mendick. It, it's, I haven't thought about Danny Mendick since we interviewed him in March. Life has been about more than Danny Mendick, so I apologize for misremembering his last name. But if you're Danny Mendick and you get sent with the B team to Curtis Granderson Field instead of getting to work out at guaranteed rate, you're like, oh, man. Oh, God. Really? I haven't proven it yet? Come on. What if, I mean, if you're, if you're the Cubs and you're sending... I mean, you wouldn't send... I know Jason Hayward might not be an everyday player this year, whenever there is a year. Guafi. Um, but can you imagine sending Jason Hayward with the scrubs to North Park College or to Northwestern? That would be unfortunate. But hey, still playing baseball. And baseball is hoping to reach a labor deal that will allow spring training 2.0 to start by June 10th. Need to reach a deal early next week, that's this week, for the target date to be a reality. At issue now, the economic model, the medical guidelines to protect the players. This would allow about four weeks of spring training. Pitchers, get your arms back ready. And then once we get rolling, once we get rolling, the roster could be anywhere from 30 to 35. Let's say the roster starts at 35. Lots of extra pitchers. That also means you get to have a speed guy. It means you get to have a pure pinch hitter. Uh, it means you get to have a third string DH available, you know, be good for the White Sox. They got a lot of DHs. We Zach got some Collins. studs. Yeah, they do. Zach Collins, come on down. You can hang. You can hang. Also, because guys won't have a minor leagues to go play for and with. If there's no minor league season whatsoever. There's no AAA. Why would you send Nico Horner anywhere? Why would you send Zach Collins anywhere? Might as well have them hang around the big league club, be available. And learn what they can that way. Nico Horner might play a big role anyway. Zach Collins, not so much. So let's say you've got 35 people to start. That leaves mm, 15, 20 on a taxi squad. So, and those guys will be available. Maybe they'll be hanging out at their homes during the first few weeks of the season. I don't know if they'll be allowed to come to the ballpark. What we heard yesterday is about 50 people per organization allowed to be in the ballpark when there are games in July. So imagine, if you will, it's 50 people. That is your roster of 35 and then your coaches and what? A couple of execs, trainers. Clubhouse guys, I mean, you get to 50 real fast. Then there's the question of broadcasters, media, and all that stuff. But so those taxi squad guys are going to have to be available and ready to jump in for you. And you'll have to use them. 
and you'll have the opportunity to use them. Texture brings up Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, what would you do with Andrew Vaughn? He's got nowhere to play. Might as well have him for the White Sox. Depends how much positional utility you can get out of him in a pinch and where you can move him around as need be. And what you want to do with him. That dude's bat is, oh, that is a major league ready bat. It really is. There's a, there's a log jam at the positions where he is going to need to play. But when you saw that dude in the spring, you're like, man, look at the way that the ball comes off that bat. I don't think they missed on that one. Collins, yeah. Fulmer, yeah. And I call Collins a miss because he's now, what, 25? And you're talking about him as maybe a third-string catcher. You're talking about him as a maybe a DH. And you're talking about him as a possible first baseman, but he can't really make your team. He wouldn't really make your team. A guy like Yermin Mercedes is a guy you'd rather have on this roster than Zach Collins. Boy, it's nice just talking about the rosters and baseball and such. I'm enjoying that. So, yeah, you'll be able to map out your team's 30 to 35-man roster. And then guys will have to be available and ready in the taxi squad. There's also this um, in Bruce's piece, and as reported a couple other places yesterday, I think Sahadev had it at The Athletic, a couple other places, but an extended fall season in November and December instead of the minor leagues. Maybe you know about the Arizona Fall League that really is just very, very short. It's like a month, and all the teams send their best six, seven, eight prospects, and those guys all play together and it's really, it's very, you know, it's small, but they're looking to expand that in Arizona and maybe in Florida as well in November and December. So minor league guys get to play a little bit, get that year of development. And obviously Guafi, Guafi. So I think it's going to happen. Joel Sherman in the New York Post has some interesting points and questions and answers about the deadline, about why it might get done, why it might not get done. I, you know, I've hinted at this, and I should just say it flat out, that I worry about Tony Clark. I'm, and there's a lot of people in the game who worry about Tony Clark, about whether he is good enough at that job, whether he is able to be both strong and thoughtful, whether he is intellectually able to hang at the table and see things from multiple sides the way you need to at the table, the way you need to be able to talk to Manfred and the others and then come back and talk to your players. And the problem is when there is any bit of job insecurity Sometimes the tendency then is to just go strong, strong, bottom line, bottom line, strong, strong, strong. And I worry about Tony Clark. And for instance, allowing a guy like Scott Boris to send memo to the union and be a loud voice and get in there is not something that a union boss should allow. Those are your people. Those are your players. You're in charge. And when Trevor Bauer is a guy saying on Twitter, hey, Scott, take your own agenda away, please. 
He's right. Look, Trevor Bauer is, can be wrong about a lot of stuff. <clears throat> but at this point, I really think he's right. And and I think Scott is uh, is 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 meddling with uh, a massive sense of self-importance. And he has not been silenced or shushed in a long, long, long time in any way. He has uh, has not had his power questioned or 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 stopped in a long long time in any way. And he's got serious personal agendas and that's what it's about for him. And look, he's great at his job. The extortionist as he was once called long ago by the New Yorker in an article that sort of defined him for me and I will never ever forget. But but Boris should not and cannot Take his own agenda, take his own stuff about the highest paid players in the game. That's that's those are the ones he's trying to protect. And then he he's selling that to the rank and file, saying, one day you could very well be represented by me. And wouldn't you like to? And look at the money I could make you. And look at this. So follow me, follow me, follow me. Is that what's best for the whole union? To be listening to that guy who represents that small portion of ball players? When the union has to resist what the MLB owners and what Rob Manfred are doing, which is trying to divide them. That's why Boris's message and Boris's agenda ends up helping Rob Manfred. And if I'm Tony Clark, I tell Boris to, to, to back off, let me do my job. Hopefully he is. You don't have to say it publicly but I fear that Tony is worried about job security. So then he lets voices in like Boris. So I, I have my fears about that because if there is, you know, it, it, I think the proposal tomorrow is going to have a line in the sand drawn. No reduction of salary. None at all. No reduction. Sorry. We'll defer. Okay. We'll defer some payments for a year, two years if you want, but no reduction. We'll give you some more games. We'll play 100 at the prorated 82 fee, but we still want our money. That's, that's not going to be enough. That's not going to be enough. And that's, and that's okay. That's okay, as long as then the owners come back and split it either down the middle or, or a little bit more towards uh, a somewhat of a pay cut, but oh yes, deferments as well. So we get in there. And then as long as the union can come back and take that. You know how these things go. I just worry about the overly strong, the overly fighty way that uh, the union might come and get it. 670, the score, is where you are. Tommy Listella would have loved this setup in 2016, says a texture. He could have stayed home and not reported to the miners. <laughs> that, that's true. Tommy would have loved that. It's a while back, though. Uh, let's let's take a break and come back. I want to hear from Carlton Fisk. I'm really looking forward to it. I missed it. I missed it uh, with Ron Coomer and Zach Zabin. And Coom, I don't know if they talk about it in the segment that we're going to play, but I know that Coom worked out with Fisk and was taught a great deal by Fisk in the time between... Coombe's arrival as a prospect and his eventual arrival in the major leagues. When Coombe would be home, he would work with Fisk. And that's pretty awesome. <laughs> 
and Fisk is a rarity to hear on our airwaves. So we'll hear that next. Bronson Arroyo will join us at the top of the hour on 670 The Score. It is hit and run. Have a good morning, everybody. Home run will put the White Sox ahead. They're going to give us a run on a ground ball, except probably the third. Yeah, back the infield's playing back. Carlton Fisk facing Bob Stanley. Hey, here it goes! Get out back! Please my me! Sox ahead. A line drive. I was afraid it might not get up high enough. And the White Sox lead. Look at this. Look at this. Holy Here's cow. your face in, Harry. <laughs> he hit a low break. Look at the White Sox dugout. Woo! Hey! Wow. That's awesome. That's 83, right, Sean? 83. 81. That's 81. 81. Thank you. 81. <laughs> Where'd you get that? Oh, that was you. That's Fisk homering off Bob Stanley, White Sox, homering off the Red Sox, Bob Stanley, his former teammate, and Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall on the call. That is great stuff. On Memorial Day, Carlton Fisk, a rarity on these airwaves, joined our Ron Coomer and Zach Zabin. Let's listen to some of that right now. Well, I don't know about chills, Combs, but it, at the time, I'll tell you, it was the, maybe the most satisfying home run I have ever hit. Uh, I know that uh, the 75 series is the most remembered, but to go back there after the way they treated me, to, to you know, basically stick it to them, uh, and I did a number of times back there too, So, uh, but that was the, the first one, and it was a game winner, and it was, it was pretty exciting. Well, I remember when, when you came to Chicago, I, I was living, obviously, born and raised in the city. And it, what an impact that made just on the way the franchise was was thought of. You know, the, the team had some players in, and they were young, but they were moving the right direction. Um, and then all of a sudden, the, you know, the White Sox started bringing in some some real serious professional players that you know were winners. And you coming in made a big impact. I remember for all of us just thinking, wow, the White Sox are for real now. Um, but to open up the season the next year in Fenway, you had to look at that when the schedule came out and just <laughs> grinning from ear to ear. I know you were. I wondered how that was going to work out. You know, uh, going back there, it could work one of two ways. It could be, uh, you know, a big negative reception or it could be a big positive reception. And it basically – uh, there was a smattering of applause when I, you know, when I was introduced. Um, there were some boos also, but when uh, later on the game when Stanley came in and, and I hit that home run off him, the whole stadium, uh, the reception was uh, unbelievable. Um, the reason that I wasn't there anymore is because of Haywood Sullivan and Buddy LaRue and it was almost as if uh, they were cheering me, and in the process, that cheer was directed back towards them uh, in their, you know, basically in their uh, treatment of me. So uh, I don't think it could have scripted it any better. Um, not that it always works out that way, because it, obviously it doesn't, but in that situation, boy, it was, it was hard to wipe that smile off my face. Yeah, and, and that <laughs> how, was how long on, was on the trying on the bases? <laughs> you know what I, I was thinking after I did? I went, you know, I should have gone like, you know, it took me two minutes to go around the base. Totally. Maybe go around like Jimmy Pierce. I should go around backwards, you know, or something. <laughs> Could have been weird. 
You know, the funny uh, part about it, you know, there was Jimmy Purcell and, and uh, Harry up in the booth. And oh, what was it, the next year that he was on the north side. So, yeah, you know, what a what a way to what a way to get introduced. Do you think they were excited for you about that home well, run after listening? They, you know, and Harry had seen a lot, a lot of baseball. And, of course, Jimmy had, had played a lot of baseball. And to have them get that excited, they they knew exactly what the situation was and how absolutely you know and how how special it turned out to be. We're joined by Hall of Famer Carlton Fisk here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. So you were jubilant on the field after that home run. What was it like after the game? You get dressed. Did you guys go out? Did you did you actually have a celebration uh, like you won a playoff game because of what transpired? No, no. I think we all knew it was at the moment. It was pretty exciting, but boy, there was a lot of baseball left to play for sure. And we were just all trying to get together and be a team and 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 uh, get to learn something about each other. But it all, you know, in a couple of years, it all came together in '83. I swear that was the best team and the most opportunistic team that I think I've ever played on. There was not a team that players came through in the clutch and pitchers pitched uh, like they never had before or since. And uh, I think this was just the the first step into being more than respectable. Pudge, when you, when you look back at that team, because I remember that team distinctly, you had, you had kind of the, the whole gamut. You had some guys that could run at the top. You had boppers in the middle of the lineup. Um, you had defense. You had pitching. Um, you had a few veterans smattered in with the young guys. Uh, but the chemistry part of that team with Tony LaRusse as the manager, as a young manager, and you and some of the other guys, what do you think, when, when, you, when do you find out that, you know, is it spring training? Because we saw it in 16 with the Cubs and 15 with the Cubs a little bit. And I played for some teams, you know, like the Cubs team in 01. Right away we knew we had something special. It didn't turn out quite the way we wanted but we knew he had something special in spring. When did you guys know it in 83? Well, you know, it, it, we knew we had something special, but it never came about. You know, it just was, uh, when is this going to take off? And, you know, up until June, I think that uh, we were just kind of scrambling around. And then all of a sudden we started winning a couple of games, and Doug Rader was coaching for Texas, and he says, boy, those guys are winning ugly. And we would. You know, we'd be – messing around, making an error, and, and go behind, then all of a sudden a bad hop or a flimper over here or, a, you know, a, an error, and then we get back on top. But from June until the end of the season, there was not a team that ever played better than we did. Um, the strange part about it was I was the number two hitter. And Rudy Law sure. was leadoff. And, you know, so it was my job to protect him and to get him over you know, and he stole 77 bases that year. And I think that I helped out a lot. And, and uh, you know, I knew my offensive responsibilities. It wasn't to try to hit home runs, even though I did hit a few. Uh, but the number two hitter, you've got to be able to handle the bat and move the guys along, and hopefully you get on in the process. Kind of amazing when you think about it that that 83 team, it marked the first postseason appearance since the 1959 World Series, it was the first for the city of Chicago when it comes to baseball uh, of any kind. 
since the White Sox reached the World Series in 1959. I, I think fans have kind of been spoiled this millennium, but back then that was a monster deal. You know, it really was. You know, I, I can't speak to a lot of what happened before, but I know going in there, I remember the Red Sox that, you know, the uh, Chicago, you know, had a few pitchers, but it, they weren't really a team you ever worried about. Um other than them playing in Chicago. And you wondered when the North side and the South side were going to put together a team. But, you know, on the South side, he had Bill Beck as the owner, and he was more of an entertainer than he was, uh, right. uh, let's get a good team on the field. Um, the You know, and then recently, uh, you know, with, the, with the White Sox and the Cubs winning the World Series, that, uh, you know, we kind of showed back up again. And now both organizations are, are – you know, pluses and there's not a rollover team in Chicago now. You know, the worst part about it, Combs, is that uh, my grandsons are now Cubs fans. <laughs> John and what a Ray, country. You know, it's really weird. <laughs> and I go over there and I wear my sock stuff and, and boy, they almost kicked me back out of the house. I ask if they want to wear my sock stuff. They go, no way. My dad would kill me, you know. So, so now I got to contend with a, a couple of Cubs fans and uh, hi Connor, hi Sean, and uh, they and they think you and Pat and the Cubs are the best thing that ever walked the face of the earth. Oh, God bless them. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, and I'll tell you what, I'll get you tickets at Wrigley Field anytime you want to bring them grandsons. To Wrigley Field, buddy. Oh, I no, you there you go. You know, they may, they're may they probably listening, and so they're going to write it down. Ron Coomer says I can come anytime I want. I, I think we could come up with some great seats, and to see you in that nice Cubs hat sitting behind home plate <laughs> with a dog enjoying, enjoying the ball game, I, I could think of nothing better can, than to see that. I can guarantee there'll be a hot dog involved, but the Cubs hat, I'm not quite sure about that. But we'll work on that. There we go. No doubt about it. That would be great. Yeah, we'll find out just how valuable those tickets are, Coom, right? <laughs> hey, yeah. when, when you have, I'll tell you one thing, Zach, and you know this from all the years you've been with the Bears and, and now with the Cubs. When you put HOF at the backside of your name and you're in sports, hell, you can get the best tickets in town at any time <laughs> you want. And it's, it's a phone call away, trust me. I've ridden on the coattails of the commander here many times to get a good ticket or a great tea time or a good reservation. Trust me. Yeah, well, no wonder I couldn't run very fast. I had to drag somebody. You're damn right, and I'm a big load now, brother. <laughs> Bigger load than you used to be. Is that what you're saying? That's, that's right. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll tell you what, oh. I, we're having so much fun here. Pudge, can you stick around for another segment? Because uh, we've got a oh, lot of yeah. questions for you. All right, perfect. Uh, yeah, I'll send, I'll send you my bill. Don't worry. <laughs> He's not doing anything. I know that. He's sticking around. Yeah. <laughs> this the is great. Social isolation isn't very exciting, you know. You know, when you got nothing to do, you know what you do? Nothing. We talked about the, the home run with the White Sox when you returned to Boston, but uh, there's nothing quite like winning a World Series game with a home run. Very few players in the history of the game have been able to do it, and, and you had that feeling. Carlton Fisk is with us. Ron Coomer's along. I'm Zach Sademan. Let's start with that and the snapshot memory in your head when you think of that home run. 
Could it have been any more perfect? It couldn't have been. The only way it could have been more perfect than that is that if it was the seventh game or it was the winning game of the World Series, I keep telling Johnny Bench, I said, you know we won that series three games to four. <laughs> That's exactly right. Anybody, everybody only remembers that home run. You know, They don't hardly remember anything else that happens. But, you know, the greatest part about that was that uh, I'm not sure whether it's exact moment or not, but that was the time when television really kind of made a statement within the game. I mean, there was more TV cameras in the ballpark than ever before. And as a result, they caught that moment. Um, and I get a chance to relive it every World Series, which is uh, pretty exciting. I look at that and I go, uh, who is that young guy? <laughs> Choking <laughs> up, too. I don't Choking feel up so young anymore. Yeah, wow. You think about, oh, man, that was a long time ago. But uh, what a special moment that was. How many times do you tell Johnny Bench, thanks for putting down that finger instead of the other uh, every ones? Every time. Oh, not very often. Only every time I see him. <laughs> That's Carlton Fisk. You know, he is 100% correct about that home run in 1975 changing television. It's an amazing story. In 1975, at that point, cameramen did not follow players' reactions, right? They just kind of followed the ball. And when Fisk was up, there was a cameraman stationed in the Fenway scoreboard, and his job was to track the ball wherever Fisk hit it. But he had an issue inside the scoreboard. This is a true story. There were rats running around inside the scoreboard at Fenway Park in left field. And the director of the broadcast told that cameraman, you got to follow the ball. And the cameraman said, I can't. I've got a rat on my leg that's as big as a cat. It's staring me in the face. That's the quote. Uh, also, I'm blocked by a piece of metal on my right. So what are we going to do? And the cameraman said, how about if we stay with Fisk and see what happens? That's it. That's the moment. And then that shot that you've all seen of Fisk as he jumps down the first baseline, frantically waving the ball fair, is the first real reaction shot to a big home run that TV broadcast on a, on a, on a broad scale. And it's thanks to a rat in the scoreboard at Fenway. True story. And then everybody loved that, and every broadcast since has had to have a camera on the hitter and on base runners and in the dugouts for reaction shots because now you realize that that's where the story is. Cool to hear Fisk. It's 670 the score. It's hit and run. I'm Matt Spiegel here with you. Bronson Arroyo is next. Really interesting guy. An optimist, a musician, a very, very smart pitcher, and a part of a curse-breaking Red Sox team in 2004. And uh, I know he's got all sorts of thoughts on the game and where it stands, whether we'll get a season and everything. I love talking to Bronson Royal. That's next, coming up right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com. 